Thank you for joining me today for Carl Erickson's Sounds and Words, a podcast with a difference. Our guest today is John Collier. Besides being a wonderful fine artist, he's also my father-in-law. Welcome to Sounds and Words, John. Oh, it's very good to be here, Carl. John, when did you first know that you wanted to be an artist? That's a good question. I'll have to think about that for a second. I, when I was a child, you know, my father is an artist and my mom's an artist. And uh, in fact, dad made a living for six children hmm. um, the whole time we were home, which is no small accomplishment. Uh, so when I was a little kid, I, you know, most little kids want to be like their dad. So I thought, well, I'll be an artist. But after a while, I decided that I'd rather, like many teenagers, I don't want to do what my dad said, mm-hmm. does. So, so um, uh, eventually, I thought, I uh, really didn't know what I wanted to do. For a while, then, I, uh, after a while, I uh, got married to Shirley, and I had to do something. So I decided to... Uh, First to be an engineer, and I went to school a little while for that. Didn't, I didn't care for it. Thought I wanted to be a a minister for a while. Uh, I went to school for that, and uh, that didn't seem to fit either. Okay. But uh, eventually, I I, tr- I changed schools, and I kept going over to the art lab because it smelled like home. Oh. So. I, uh, the varnish, I like yeah. the smell of varnish. Okay. Uh, so we, uh, uh, I told my wife, I think I'm going to be an artist or a composer, but I couldn't play any instrument. So I decided to be an artist. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, was there a specific, you know, other than, than your father and your, and your mother, were there any specific artists that really, um, sparked your interest in, in the arts? Oh yeah, I, I, there's so many artists that I love, um, many from history and many current artists. I, uh, I, I guess really, let me think. Early on, I really loved Degas, and because yes. I loved Degas' work, I picked up pastels and uh, taught myself to use them, which are really kind of a difficult medium. But um, oh dear, I. I love virtually every Renaissance artist, sculptor, and painter. I, of course, love Michelangelo. I love not Renaissance, but I love uh, Rembrandt, and I right, love. Right, right. Um, oh, there, then there were some later. I discovered that there were current artists that I liked, although these have passed away. Of, uh, let me think. Um, Georges Wall. Uh, a wonderful French artist, uh, early part of the 20th century, okay. a wonderful Catholic artist. Uh, love his work. Uh, probably, the, I think, the greatest religious artist of the 20th century. Wow. Um, oh, boy. Well, maybe well, as we go along, I'll think of something. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely fine. I was was more focused on, on um, initially, when you were young, what artists maybe spark oh. your your interest more than the current artists but we can um i have some questions later on that'll be maybe touching on that again so that's that's fine um well, I had a wonderful book i think that was very influential on me in fact um i 
I've been looking through that very book that my dad had uh, recently, and it was a book given to him by his father, which uh, was just a collection of various artists. Uh, It was edited by um, Rockwell Kent, who was a wonderful artist uh, early to mid-20th century. It was a funny book because he was told which which paintings were going to be in the book, and uh, he didn't like half of them. <laughs> so, uh, but they were, there were some wonderful paintings in there. And, uh, I think early on they, uh, they helped form my, uh, they helped form my mind yeah. as, as, as it appreciated art. Right. And it gave you an introduction a little bit. Yeah. When did you begin, um, transitioning from secular art to religious art? Was that sparked by um, 9-11? Well, <clears throat> uh, religious art has always been important to me, even when I was, um, maybe you could tell your listeners that I, for much of my life, I was an illustrator out of New York doing uh, books and magazines for, well, well, virtually every major magazine in the country I've uh, done work for and um Mm-hmm. And book covers, uh, they might be familiar with uh, the Secret Life of Bees, right? A right. Book a few years ago, that was my cover. Uh, but um, I used to sneak religious ideas into my illustrations. Oh, okay. Uh, whenever you see, whenever you see a a woman or a young woman in my paintings, I always kind of thought of the Virgin Mary. At okay. least very often thought of her, and so. Um, kind of sneak that in there. Yeah, even yeah. Though a, even though I wasn't a Catholic at the time. Huh. Um, anyway, but I don't know if that answers. You know. No, well, so um, when did you more formally enter the field of religious oh, art? Yeah. Um, boy, it's been about, I can't, I keep trying to think of how long ago that was. It's been at least, I think, 15 years now. So would it have um, coincided roughly with 9-11? It was before that. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I... Um, so just before 9-11. I, it, I, I couldn't remember if it was before or after that that point. But it's if, yeah, if you're... Art, okay. Artists always want to paint and sculpt what they love. Right, right. And that's what I loved, so I, I wanted to... That's what I wanted to do. And it was a few years before 9-11. Okay. The first... The first official commission I got for a church was for a church in Rockwell, Texas, and uh, loved doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. That came about because I had done a, a sculpture of an angel, which got on the cover of a, um, of a Catholic magazine, and uh, I, I think... Uh, the priest at this church in Rockwall had seen that, and so it uh, sparked his interest. I see. And since then, I've enjoyed doing it ever since. Right. I remember sitting with you sometime uh, before or after Christmas in 2001, and you were talking about creating art in in, uh, remembrance of those lost on 9-11. Why was this so important to you early on? Well, um... Maybe you can give some background in how that commission came about. It, uh, like uh, 
like many artists, I was very, many people, I was very moved by what had happened. And um, the uh, uh, chapel next door to um, the World Trade Center uh, had been, the, the, had decided to do a commission <coughs> some works of art which would, uh, um, which would uh, honor the people who had passed away. Um, right. So they uh, had a, they asked for artists to submit their portfolios and my agent submitted mine and um, I was chosen as the principal sculptor for, uh, for this 9-11 uh, memorial. Uh, the sculptures were done in over a period of time, but this particular chapel, St. Joseph's Chapel, was the first floor of a, uh, a skyscraper and was, I'm told, the only religious, um, what you say, the, the place where masses were held in the city of New York that wasn't owned by the Catholic Church. It was actually just rented. Oh. So since that time, those sculptures, uh, not just by me, but by a few other people, have been taken from that chapel and installed at St. Peter's Catholic Church on the other side of the World Trade Center. Uh, it's My sculptures are on the porch of that, the front porch of that. I see. It's the oldest Catholic church in New York City. Uh, so I suppose you would have to say my interest in the subject uh, in a, in addition to just being, uh, just being so sad over right. what happened, uh, the idea of making art really came because uh, this uh, group of people in New York uh, wanted to make the, a memorial, and I was chosen. In uh, in your words, <laughs> in twenty words or less, no. Uh, in your words, what's the history of religious art in your perspective? <laughs> 20 words or less. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll, I will fail at this point. Mm -hmm. um, That's fine. The, um, a lot of people think of religious art connected with the uh, Judeo-Christian tradition as being, as only coming about after Christianity came around. But really... Uh, the Jews, contrary to what I used to think, were not opposed to having having uh, religious art in their uh, in their worship spaces. Uh, at, even though the commandments say uh, no graven images, uh, that's what I do for a living. I make graven images. <laughs> so uh, what's the deal with that? It's um, uh, if you look at the, in Scripture, you'll see that. Shortly after God says no graven images, he describes all the graven images he wants in his uh, temple. Yeah. Uh, he, you will, your listeners will remember the two enormous angels, I think seraphim, at the, at the front of the, uh, of the tabernacle. Right. Um, lots and lots of angels embroidered into the, uh, the tent of meeting. Um, then, of course, later on, uh, well, also the, um, the famous, um, oh, dear, my brain's not working. That's the, fine. Um, 
the Ark of the Covenant. There are right. two angels on top, which who overlook the mercy seat where the priests would sprinkle the blood. Right. Uh, there are lots and lots of occasions in the Bible, and then there are um, archaeological discoveries of ancient synagogues, which had uh, the only thing that's left at the moment are the floors of the synagogues, and there are lots of animals and people and um, things like that, which early on um, uh, dovetailed neatly into Christianity. Christ the early Christians were Jews, mm -hmm. so it seemed perfectly normal for them, I think, to have, uh, to have art as a part of their uh, worship space. Um, there are some of these pieces that still exist. There's, um, I think, the earliest example of a crucifix was a drawing in, in, engraved into some, I can't remember if it's metal or what it was, but okay. it shows Jesus and the two thieves on each side of him. Oh. But it's very crude, but it's right there, and it was yeah, yeah. Uh, in Rome. It, it's Art has been an important part of of Christianity because art is an important part of every human culture. Uh, even the uh, Muslims who have a very strict um, taboo against showing images from um, uh, images of things that exist right, in heaven right. and earth, it says, actually have a very sophisticated uh, design ability they instead of uh, showing pictures of people or animals or pics of them those are applied to the walls of of mosques um, Christians have been making art since the very beginning beauty truth and goodness are all three important facets of Christianity and uh, as um, oh as um, Pope Benedict said um, a few years ago that he felt more people had been won to the Catholic Church by its artists and its saints than by its theologians, oh, which yeah. is something for a theologian to say. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's true. People, uh, art, uh, beauty is a winsome way of presenting the gospel. Right, and of course, people. Millions of people every year go to oh, St. Peter's in Rome to, uh, to see the great beauty that, it, uh, that is presented there. And, of course, many other churches all around the world. Exactly. So how is it that art and beauty communicate the gospel in ways that words can't? I wish I could give you a good answer to that. Um, One of the reasons I can't give you a good answer is because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. Right. Uh, I don't know why. If, if I could say what I, with words, what I say with paintings or sculptures, then I wouldn't have to make sculptures. Yeah. There's just something which is um, nonverbal about beauty that um, visual beauty right. that um, can't be said adequately with words. Um, 
boy, I'm sorry, Carl. I no, wish I no. could give you a better answer. No, but it's true, isn't it? Even though I can't express it, almost anyone I who thinks about the subject will instantly agree, even though they can't say it either. They, yeah, even though they can't quite articulate it. One yeah. of my favorite paintings of yours is the Annunciation. Can you give us a little bit of the background of that piece? Sure. Um, in my Annunciation, uh, I show Mary as a uh, contemporary 20th century schoolgirl or 21st century schoolgirl who is, um, has just come onto her porch. She's wearing her, her school uniform. She has saddle oxfords with strings are untied and she's reading a book. Uh, Gabriel is next to her. She's come to the, her front porch. Uh, there's a doorbell on her door that Gabriel has just rung. She comes to the door and suddenly she sees there's an angel on her front porch uh, who says, Hail Mary, full of grace. Though it appears uh, unusual in, at first because it's showing this biblical story in 20th century, mm -hmm. 21st century terms, it's actually quite traditional because uh, this is the way it's always done. If you look at Renaissance paintings or later of the Annunciation, you'll see that uh, the figures are wearing clothes, which are um, typical of Renaissance uh, styles. Right. Um, in, my, in my painting, you'll see a sealed window, which is uh, a traditional way of saying that Mary was perpetually a virgin. You'll see oh, okay. uh, lilies, which uh, talk about her purity. You'll see the Holy Spirit dove on the roof of a house next door waiting for her answer. You'll see that she's on the porch of a, a wealthy home. So what's the deal with that? She's a poor girl, probably 14, 16 years old. Right. And yet in the background, you see that um, there's a relative, she lives in a poor neighborhood. The house across the street is not very elegant. Huh. And this is... Um, expressing a, a uh, thought by St. Albertus Magnus, who, who said that the environment in which the saint is portrayed is indicative of the condition of her soul and not meant to be taken uh, literally. Oh, all right. And um, where, uh, where is that painting now? Where is the original? It's at, um, <clears throat> excuse me, at um, St. Gabriel's Catholic Church in um, McKinney, Texas. Okay. Um, what can you tell us about your beautiful artwork for the St. Bartholomew, Bartholomew Catholic Church of Wyzetta, Minnesota? Yeah, um, I did, uh, I'm trying to think, two pieces of art. One is a stained glass, well, three. One is a stained glass window, which has a, a sculpture of the crucifix in front of it. And the, uh, the third thing is uh, the Holy Family. Uh, talking about the Holy Family, uh, which is a, a bronze sculpture, um, it's uh, a bit unusual in that there's a, a girl, a, a young girl is uh, is also included in the Holy Family sculpture. So what's the deal with that? Hmm. Uh, what I have is 
uh, on the left of the sculpture is the child Jesus at 12 years old uh, with his mom. And this is their conversation when um, she says, why have you done this to us? And why did you uh, wander off? And Jesus uh, is motioning well to her, talking to her, saying, I had to be about my father's business. He's holding a staff, which has blossomed, okay. which is the staff of Aaron, because Jesus is the great high priest, and he's either on the way or just come from the temple. If you look to their right, you'll see St. Joseph, who is uh, introducing this young girl to the Holy Family, and that girl represents us, who is the, we, the bride of Christ. Oh. She's holding a pearl in her hand, which is the pearl of great price that she's found. It's an actual pearl. Oh, oh wow. And um, it's, uh, so Joseph is trying to introduce this child to uh, his foster son, Jesus. Uh, the other works of art I, I've done for the same church, there, a stained glass window, uh, which is of the angels uh, ascending and, well, back up a bit. When uh, This is St. Bartholomew's church. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when, um, when Jesus calls Bartholomew, I've forgotten his other name that's in the scripture. Anyway, it's St. Bartholomew. And uh, he says, uh, St. Bartholomew is amazed because he saw Bartholomew under a fig tree. And Jesus says, well, something in effect, if you think that is something, what will happen when you see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man? So I decided to make angels over the altar of the church ascending and descending because um, this is the vision Jesus predicts that Bartholomew will have. Oh, all right. And uh, I don't recall ever seeing this in a piece of art, so I thought uh, one of the things I enjoy doing is trying to uh, tease out uh, 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 things that might be useful in communicating the gospel but or have not been done very often. Mm -hmm. uh, the pastor of the church liked the idea so much, he had the words of uh, Jesus engraved into the threshold of the church. Oh. So as you go into the sanctuary, it says you will see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Wow. Um, or something to that effect. Uh -huh. Anyway, uh, and then in front of it is uh, is the crucifix for the church, which is in bronze. Mm -hmm. And uh, if your listeners go to my agent's website, it's Hillstream. Dot com, they can see the the uh, photos of these pieces we're talking about. Yes. Your daughter, uh, my wife, uh, um, did the painstaking water gilding for your artwork in St. Oh, Peter's yes. Church in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. What was it yeah. like creating such a large painting for that church? It was big, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and almost put my poor daughter in the hospital because she worked so hard on, on it. It was a beautiful, beautiful frame. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make a piece of art which ref had some reference to Renaissance um, Reredos. So Reredos is that piece of art behind the altar of a church. Mm -hmm. 
or sometimes called rear dose. And um, because of that, I wanted to make uh, gold had to be a part of the uh, frame because it was uh, the idea is it's a precious, precious um, thing that uh, mm -hmm. a place that you're you're coming to see the a church. Um, and in this case, um, this was um, St. Peter's Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So um, I discussed this with the church and we decided to say something about the um, repentance of St. Peter. If you look at the painting, you'll see that uh, Peter uh, is kneeling on a rock and reaching up toward Jesus, who is reaching toward him. Uh, Jesus is on another rock. And, uh, of course, Peter's name means rock, and his rock has fallen off of the rock Christ Jesus for momentarily. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is reaching out to pull him back up on it. Okay. Um, and Peter, he asks Peter, uh, if you love, do you love me? And Peter says yes, and gets very... Uh, very sad that yeah. Jesus asked him three times, one once for each of the denials that Peter had, yes, uh, yes. had given. So uh, you'll see that uh, the rock that Jesus is standing on is standing, that rock is being held up by uh, gravel, by rubble. And Jesus said that oh, um, right. there's a rock not hewn by hands, if anyone falls on this rock, they'll be broken. But if it falls on anyone, they'll be ground to powder. So that's really wow. a reference to repentance. That if we fall on Jesus, uh, we will be forgiven. But in the judgment, if that if that rock, not hewn by hands, Jesus falls yeah. on anyone, uh, he will be. Uh, It'll not, it will be the worst for him. Exactly. So, um, in addition to that, there's a boat. This whole incident in the painting is after the resurrection. Jesus uh, is on the shore. The apostles don't know who this person is on the shore. Right. They're out in a boat trying to catch fish again and not doing a very good job of it. <laughs> and uh, and uh, this stranger on the shore says, put the net on the other side of the boat. Yeah. Uh, this is all a kind of mirror image of when he first uh, right. first saw them early on exactly. in the yeah. ministry. So uh, they put the net on the other side and catch lots and lots of fish. John, in his gospel, says how many? 143 or something like that? <laughs> I've forgotten exactly. Yeah. Uh, so in my paintings, you'll see the young John in the background counting fish. Oh, oh that's wonderful. See, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, a man in blue jeans, uh, like a co contemporary fisherman holding a fish. Uh, but then you see lots of other apostles in uh, the robes of the day. Uh, the idea is to make a, uh, a bridge between us and that ancient story okay. so that we can see, it's, which is really the purpose of showing the Annunciation we were just talking about in contemporary terms. Mm -hmm. It's uh, these things that we recognize uh, uh, by seeing them, we realize that, that 
this is about us too. It's not about just about something that happened to someone long ago. And so I like it, including uh, contemporary things with ancient things mm -hmm. uh, for that reason. Uh, there's a, an angel underneath a thunderstorm in the painting uh, reaching up toward God and there's an, a rainbow over him because uh, this is happening at a lake and God uh, and there ain't this said whoops excuse me they, Jesus said there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents in this mm. case Saint Peter than over a hundred just men that don't need to repent so the angel is rejoicing and there's a rainbow because water will be instrumental in the salvation of humanity rather than its destruction as it was um, in the flood with Noah. Right. Um, there are lots of little things like that. And I can, you'll see that the boat that the apostles are in is a contemporary aluminum John boat. It's not an ancient oh, um, right. boat from the first century. Uh, there are lots of little things like that that may not be apparent at first because it's handled in a very classical way. Uh, and yet, uh, if you, as you look at it, you realize there are things in here that I recognize. Yeah. When oh, you were Jesus is making breakfast for the apostles. Oh, okay. He's got a fire there. And, yeah, uh, yeah. He's going to give them some fish to eat. Right. And so, bread. Yeah, so it kind of infusing the ordinary um, nature of our lives with the um, with Christ's uh Christ's love and power. That's right. So what, with the, as far as the water and the rainbow, that, that theme, are you, are you touching upon the waters of baptism there or? Yes. Okay. Yeah, the waters of baptism <clears throat> is what I was referring to. Okay. Okay. Um, back in 2017, I, uh, I discovered the paintings of Caravaggio uh, when I visited Rome and I really fell in love with his art. Um, yeah. If this is an artist that's also important to you at all, which of his works are your favorites, would you say? Oh, well, I love Caravaggio's work. Um, I think, well, the one that comes to mind is the one of St. Paul being knocked off his horse. Yeah. That's a wonderful painting. Yes. Um, I'm not the only person, and you aren't the only people who have loved Caravaggio. Uh, he invented just just the art side of things. Yes, yes. He invented something called chiaroscuro, which is uh, uh, almost synonymous with art of that period, where you see the um, see the objects of the art coming out of a dark background mm, mm. that's surrounded by the darkness of. Uh, the painting was extremely influential on other artists, particularly Rembrandt comes to mind. Um, but of course, this is an occasion where you might want to do, you might love Caravaggio, but you might not want your daughter to date him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he so, was uh, He was quite the tumultuous figure. Yeah, I think he, he what, had a duel or something and killed somebody and ran away. Yes, and and um, yes, it's his life was uh, well. I've got a book right now. Um, I can't remember the precise um, title, but it's it's uh, Caravaggio: Life of Sa the Sacred and the Profane, and um, yeah. and and that really his light was or his life was just this 
you know, like the author uh, talks about, it was it's just this um, this darkness infused with um, you know lightning and storms, and and he was just yeah. a person of great passion, and and um, also uh, I think the uh, the author of that of that book uh, theorizes that it there was a lot of um, a lot of uh, feeling of inferiority, perhaps because of his. Uh, of his status in society. He was kind of uh, in the middle of between um, nobility and uh, the working class. And yeah. he, he always considered himself uh, something more than perhaps he was uh, societal, um, you know, speaking in terms of society uh, and class. And yeah. uh, that seemed to be a, a mo uh, something that, that sparked his anger frequently, if I remember correctly. Um, well, we we can all pray for Caravaggio. Yes, we can certainly. I I particularly love his his painting. I don't remember the title, but it's um, when I when I saw it in person, my mouth just dropped. It's of um, Mary and Elizabeth and the baby um, uh, baby Jesus, and um, Mary's foot is on the serpent's head, and Christ's foot, if I'm not mistaken, is on top of Mary's. And, uh, oh, I, I just, I haven't noticed that. Yeah. It's just, you could, you could do a whole, uh, you know, homily based on, on just that little section of the painting right there. Uh-huh. Um, which artists have perhaps influenced you the most? And would you say that they're creators of religious or secular art? Oh boy. Um, I, I just, I, I don't I don't narrow it just to religious art that's mm -hmm, for sure. mm -hmm. but I'm very moved by religious art as you might imagine since that's what I do for a living mm -hmm. and what I do because I love it um, right. I'll name let me just name some let's see there's a contemporary sculptor that not a lot of people know about uh, Giacomo Manzu Manzu was a, a wonderful sculptor. I don't even think he was a believer, but he did lots of religious work. Huh. He was commissioned to do it by uh, oh, um, John the Twenty Third. I think they both came from the small Italian, same small Italian town. Um, there's, uh, well, of course, Rembrandt. Rembrandt did so many mm -hmm. religious pieces of art that were so wonderful. Um, who else? All, all of the major Renaissance people, Da Vinci, um, um, Michelangelo, and right, right. Uh, Donatello, and if you can think of them without thinking of turtles, you're ah. an intellectual. <laughs> yes, um, yes. Let's see. Who else? Um, I love uh, pieces that aren't uh, religious in, at all. I, I, I really like... Um, Cezanne's work, I like. Mm -hmm. um, oh, who else? You mentioned Degas, Degas earlier. Yeah, Degas, of course. And, um, now that you put me on the spot, I can't think of Of people. course, let me, yes. Let me think for just a second. That's fine. Um, I love Manet's work. Mm -hmm. I, love, um, I love a lot of Picasso's work, especially his early work. I'm not so oh, crazy okay. about the Cubist work, but... yeah. Uh, etchings are just wonderful, really huh. reminiscent of of the um, drawings on the outside of a Greek vase. Okay, They're beautiful. Um, 
again, it's not someone you want your daughter to marry, but his work is beautiful. Right, uh, right. Let me, oh dear. That's fine. Uh, Corot, oh, I should mention Corot, C-O-R-O-T. Oh. Uh, just a wonderful Catholic artist from the early part of the 19th century. He okay. would not start a painting until he had done some kindness for someone that day. Oh, uh, wow. I really think Corot should be made a saint. Maybe there's some reason he hasn't been, but it sounds like a saint to me. Wow. And uh, the he was much he was older, but still living at the time of the Impressionists. And during one meeting when he was present, everyone agreed that the greatest artists there, I mean, uh, these people were, you know, where Degas was there, Manet was there, Monet was there, and they all agreed that he was the great artist. Oh, wow. It, yeah, that's strange. I've never, I've never heard of uh, that artist before. I'll have to go look him up. Yeah, wonderful artist. He wanted to be a religious artist, I think. He did several religious paintings, but he's really mostly known as um, a landscape painter. Oh, okay, okay. Is there a similarity, and this is kind of a digression, and then we'll kind of move back to the visual arts, but is there a, a similarity um, in what is happening to visual arts in terms of uh, um, church, the church and uh, music? How, how, what are your thoughts on that? Well, um, the broader the broader field of I I really don't think I'm qualified to talk about music except mm -hmm. what I I'm just what I little I know, but I do know a bit about the visual arts. The training of artists and musicians I can imagine uh, today is uh, in the past. Well, I shouldn't say today, over the past 50 years, okay. maybe 40 years, has been essentially a, a, a an exploration of ab abstract expressionism. Mm -hmm. well, that's not so much anymore, but this, let's say you were a young artist going to school in the 50s and 60s, um, maybe 70s. Uh, you were educated in abstract expressionism and the um, idea that you might want to draw something was thought of as uh, anachronistic, that why in the world would you want to do such a thing? Yeah. Um, and lots of people felt that way. For that reason, uh, objective art, art which rep is representational, was, um, that is, uh, Art, which is, to my mind, necessary if you want to say something about a biblical story mm -hmm. um, that is essentially illustration. Uh, and the illustration is the last thing anybody wanted to, be thought, wanted to be thought of as an illustrator during that period uh, because it had to do with drawing um, representational things, drawing, you know, a, a person, drawing a, um, things that are recognizable. Right. And so you wind up with a period where there really isn't, there isn't, um, there aren't many people that can make the art because they weren't trained to make the art. Hmm. Um, 
And many of, I shouldn't say it that way, many of the, many of the best artists, many of the people who wanted to do religious art um, weren't the best artists that were working. There were a few really good people, but um, there were people whose heart was in the right place. But uh, I, I wish I shouldn't say anymore. Okay, I, I, understand. Uh, I include, understand. I'll include myself in, in that group. <laughs> I'm not the artist that... Um, I'm not Michelangelo. Yeah. I'm not uh, Rembrandt. I want to be, <laughs> but... Uh, me and several other people try to be, yeah, uh, and we're doing the best we can. Um, but that uh, that lack of training, which is more to your point, that lack of training made it difficult for art to be included. Um, when a, when a, a church was designed, um, it was designed in such a way that art wouldn't be necessary yeah there are uh there are some abstract pieces in what's called mid-century architecture uh, which are abstract windows for instance for some reason just make a lot of pretty glass and put it in a window and you feel inspired because it's just so beautiful and yeah uh, it doesn't necessarily say anything about a biblical story mm. but it's beautiful and can and well uh, Architecture itself is essentially abstract art. Yeah, it's just um, it doesn't. It's not representational, but just the forms, which are uh, presented. You know, the high ceiling or the the uh, stone arches or all of those things are um, are are just objects which inspire when we walk into a building like that. And mm -hmm. essentially that's abstract art is a lot, is a lot like that, but it, um, to my mind, you still need representational art to tell stories. Mm. If you want to instruct people uh, about some facet of Christianity, right, right. it's good to have a, it's good to have representational art to, to, for that purpose. Yes. Very good. Uh, to change gears slightly here, can you tell us about your long conversation with Norman Rockwell? <laughs> yeah, um, I uh, when I first went to New York, I uh, one of the other artists who was uh, represented by my agent had Norman Rockwell's phone number that he had gotten from an art director at a magazine, <laughs> and so I was just so in awe of Norman Rockwell, I, I took the number and and sat in my hotel room by myself while my heart was pounding until it almost came out of my chest that yeah. I was going to call Norman Rockwell. So I called him, and the uh, this is before cell phones. Yeah, the connection was so poor that it was interrupted, and you could only tell there was someone there, but you couldn't tell anything about what they were saying. So I hung up oh. on Norman Rockwell oh. and and uh, waited for another hour for my heart to calm down. <laughs> and, I, uh, and I called back and this really old guy said, hello. 
And I said, oh, Mr. Rockwell, my name's John Collier, and I'm an artist, and I just got to New York. <laughs> and uh, he uh, he kind of chuckled a bit, and I, I can't remember much of the conversation now, except I the only thing I can think of, now I have Norman Rockwell on the phone, and I have no, nothing to say. Yeah, yeah. So I just asked how he got his work back and forth from New York, because that was something that uh, that concerned me. I didn't know how he was going to get work into town Oh yeah, um, yeah. Uh, to the magazines that I would be working on, working with, with who were the same ones that he would work with. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, anyway, that's... that that's my short story of, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a wonderful short story. I, I love visiting artists, uh, studios. I remember v visiting yours for the first time on Vashon Island in 1989. And I felt like I had just entered a different world. If I remember correctly, your studio was situated in the basement of your house and you had a panoramic view of the Puget Sound looking towards Tacoma. Do yeah. terrific views like this tend to distract or inspire the artist? I wish I could say they inspire me uh, because I went to a lot of trouble to get there. Yes. To live there. But after uh, something I learned from that experience, after a while, where you live just becomes where you live. Mm. If you live in a very inspiring place, I would go, uh, like, uh, as was the case on Bashan Island, I would go out occasionally on the deck or on the patio, look out at the sound and Mount Rainier in, in the background, mm -hmm. and think, I ought to be feeling better than I do. <laughs> it's... Uh, yeah. It's just, um, after a while, it just becomes where you live. And yeah, it was beautiful, yeah. and it is beautiful. Mm -hmm. So I wish I could tell you, I wish I could tell you that it inspired me, and I went on to great heights in yes. art. Yeah, yeah. So it just gets, it gets caught up in the mundane, everyday life, and it just kind of becomes the static background that, you're, that yeah. you ignore. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, years ago, great art. Great art uh -huh. happens. Great art happens between your ears. It doesn't happen be uh, because you live on Puget Sound. Exactly. Exactly. And and how much of art do you think is at least for you? How much? How much is uh, inspiration, and how much is, as they say, perspiration? Oh. Um, well, as other people have pointed out, a mortgage is the greatest inspiration <laughs> for, for making a piece of art. Yes, yes. Um, when you make art, you have to sit down and make the art because you have a deadline and it doesn't, uh, that art won't wait for a, an inspiration. Right. Uh, so I, um, I can't say that I haven't been inspired from time to time or felt uh, or felt that I've um, that I have something to say that I hadn't thought about before right because I sit down with the materials I have to to make and I start thinking about for instance one of the ways I make a piece of art is I do what are called thumbnails a thumbnail is just a little a little you know, probably two by three inch uh, sketch on a piece of paper. And I start um, 
uh, start drawing. And I, okay. I realized that, well, for instance, uh, an example would be I would start, when I did my Good Shepherd uh, monument for Greensburg, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, the, the, um, the job called for doing a sculpture of, of the Good Shepherd. Mm -hmm. And uh, as anyone knows, the Good Shepherd is just Jesus and his lamb. So I sat down and started doing thumbnails, and I, uh, as I was doing it, I, um, I, I realized that something's missing. Uh, I don't want to just make a, a Jesus and his lamb sculpture. I think something else could be done, and I started thinking about when Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd, uh, he said, does it in the context of a story of a he says that the wolf comes and the hired right, man right. runs away. So I started thinking about the wolf. The, if the sheep aren't in danger, there's no reason for a shepherd. Right. So Jesus is saying that the sheep are in danger. Uh, he, so I drew a wolf uh, confronting Jesus and his lamb. And then I started thinking that well, one of the things that really is important to my work is the concept of typology, a, a type in the Old Testament which points toward Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, so I started thinking about shepherds in the Old Testament and how they are um, types of, of Christ the Good Shepherd. Um, uh, I should say that this monument goes out in front of the bishop's office, who is the shepherd of, of the diocese. Right. So... I wanted something that he could look out at and think of about his job. And so I, something I felt ought to be on the right side of the sketch. And I, so I uh, eventually included uh, Abel, the first to offer a sacrifice to God, a shepherd, and Moses, the sh who took care of his father-in-law's sheep, mm, and David, okay. the shepherd that became a king. And they're all watching this coming confrontation between Jesus and the wolf. I see. Um, so I'm not sure if that's inspiration, but it um, it was meaningful to me, and it wasn't something that I had ever seen portrayed before. Mm. If I could tell you one, mm -hmm. one thing that did inspire me a bit after, yeah. what I, I made... I made a small version of this sculpture. Each of the figures uh, were only about oh, a foot and a half tall. And I took it to Greensburg to show the bishop and the committee, which was deciding um, who would get to do the art. Um, and uh, one of the people on the committee was an architect. And in the morning, the morning that he was supposed to come and judge the art uh, between me and two other artists, his wife said, choose the one with the wolf. It, he said to her, there's no wolf. This is the good shepherd. What does it have to do with anything? Wow. And she said, no, choose the one with the wolf. And so when I came and I took out my wolf and I took out Jesus, the good oh. shepherd, and I took out the uh, three uh, shepherds from the old Testament. Uh, they were, he was amazed. And his wife told me that story. Wow. Uh, afterward, I was very moved by that. That's beautiful. Wow. Years ago, um, a Bill Curtis created a short documentary video on you entitled The Art of John Collier, Truth and the Beautiful Lie. 
what is the meaning of the title in terms of the lie? Oh, let me think. Um, my original idea was that um, you can have a counterfeit beauty. You can have beauty back up a bit. Yeah. It's often interpreted or interpreted the other way around. But uh, my original thought was to try and make uh, to try and make art which holds beauty, truth, and goodness together. Okay. That if when you start separating beauty, truth, and goodness, you run into if you take beauty and you separate goodness from it, you wind up, to my mind, with uh, is almost the definition of pornography. Pornography is beautiful, but it is uh, without goodness. Okay. And so you, you wind up with uh, something that has an allure, but is uh, destructive. Okay. And so my thought while I came up with the title was uh, truth was beautiful. It was, as other people have pointed out, beauty is truth, truth, beauty. That's all you know or need to know. Was it, yeah. it said that. Um, so I, my idea was to try and keep uh, keep those things together. Whereas I, I was I'm at that time, which was years ago, and today we we live in a culture which wants to separate all of those things. The documentary noted also that you uh, introduced the use of pastel medium into modern illustration. Can you tell us about what led you to start using uh, pastels for this purpose? Well, it was because I loved Degas, and Degas oh. was the great, um, the great pastelist of, of the 19th century. Um, also because I could draw better than I could paint. Oh, and so okay. uh, it's a really a drawing medium rather than a painting medium, medium even though they're called paintings. Yeah. That's, that's why I started using pastels. I, of course, wasn't the first person to use pastels. Other people were, but they had gone long out of fashion. I see. And I, I started using them, and other people started using them after that. I see. Okay. Um, what would you say, or how would you describe today's field of religious art? Can you, can you summarize or uh, convey what's happening in the field at this time at all? Well, <clears throat> at one time, there were artists you could hire, like, say, let's go way back, Michelangelo, uh, uh, Da Vinci, um, Donatello, all, of, um, all mm -hmm. of those artists, who were the greatest artists alive. Uh, today, the artists who are thought of as the great artists are, for the most part, either not interested in religion or even are quite opposed to yeah. religion and Christianity. So um, that's one of the difficulties that that we run into. Um, I won't mention the artist, but there was there's a very prominent artist who was commissioned recently to do uh, to do a sculpture. I think it was of Saint Bartholomew uh, for a church in London. And it's a it's a passable piece, but if you read about his um, 
his thoughts about um, about religion. It's uh, it's quite opposed to uh, what most of the people would expect when they go into a church. As you look back on your life, what would you say was your greatest artistic achievement and why? Mm. My greatest achievement are my two daughters. I would, I would agree with that. <laughs> but that's not artistic. I don't know. I can't choose between children and I can't choose between paintings or sculptures. Yeah. I have several that I like a lot. Uh, probably a lot of people would say the 9-11 Memorial in New York would be um, uh, certainly one that's right up there. And I do like the pieces I did for that. Sculpt Those sculptures, I don't know how to answer that. I like, that's fine. I like some of my pieces and I'm... Uh, embarrassed by some of my pieces but uh, oh. not really the ones I've done for churches I, I oh, think good. I like all of them that I've done for, for churches it's usually my illustrations are the ones I've I've this is years and years ago right that I've been a bit embarrassed by because sometimes they had to be done in a day oh right and right commission and sudden and yeah. have to do it immediately yeah it's yeah. hard to do that. Wow, I can't even imagine that. Have you ever considered doing art on the theme of um, the tragedy of abortion? I have, and I have done some ideas on that. Um, a, a few years ago, a church in Texas uh, asked me to come up with an idea. Uh, this this never happened, but the idea was this. Uh, they had... Uh, the Knights of Columbus, I believe, had had bought a little tombstone that they put in the corner of one of their gardens to say, in memory of the people who, a uh, memory of children who had been aborted, okay. and uh, that was, uh, you know, that's that was a good thing. But they asked me to come up with an idea that that come up. Can you come up with a better idea? Oh, okay. So, uh, so I tried to think about that, and I started thinking about uh, the visitation, the occasion when Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Right. I started uh, thinking about that and drawing and sketching it, that in that occasion there is almost every reason a young, or, well, a woman might give to have an abortion. You've got a, a young woman, not married, pregnant, You've got an older woman uh, pregnant, and um, in both cases, well, back then I'm sure they knew even as they do today, when you're older and you have a baby, that something can go wrong. Right, right. So uh, you have the reasons for, have many reason, reasons that uh, people give for having an abortion. Both women are poor. They can't probably can't afford to have a baby. Um so I thought it would be good to have a sculpture which has, um, in my case, in my sculpture, I have Mary coming into the scene from the left, and uh, uh, Elizabeth has been sitting in a chair uh, peeling apples. Oh, yeah. Uh, and she jumps up to greet uh, her cousin Mary. Uh, I chose apples because um, Mary is the second Eve. Yes, yes. And, That's, yes, uh, right. There's a knife on the floor, which uh, they're standing on, which uh, is meant to uh, 
say that they are rejecting the, surge, the surgeon's knife, which would, uh, oh. which would harm a baby. Uh, so wow. I would love to do that, but so far no one has commissioned me to do it. That the church ran out of money, I so see. That I wasn't able to do it. Yes. Oh, that's a wonderful idea, though. At your granddaughter's wedding this last summer, you related a wonderful story, a tale that felt simultaneously old, new, and mysterious. I don't want you to share the tale here, but are you any closer to putting it into a book form? No, no closer. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. I, I love the story. I would love to make a. It's really meant to be a movie. Yes. Um, it's a screenplay idea. It's highly visual. Yeah, yeah, I really like it. I, I, I would love to, but uh, so far, I just have been thinking about other things. I understand. Um, your latest sculpture is amazing. The transparency of the wings of the archangel were t truly astonishing. What can you share about this particular creation? Uh, it's done for um, St. Raphael's Catholic Church in El Paso, Texas. Okay. Uh, uh, if uh, it's a sculpture of St. Raphael, and uh, if you, your audience uh, listeners know the story, in the book of Tobit, uh, if you're a Protestant, you can look in your Bible and you'll search in vain. Yes, yes. But if you're, um, if you're a Catholic, they know that, the Catholic audience may know that uh, there's the book of Tobit. And the book of Tobit is a story about a man, a righteous man, I won't go into the whole story, but um, there's mm -hmm. a righteous man named Tobit who is um, a king, uh, takes everything away from him, and he's left with only his son, his wife, and a dog. So uh, the um, he got, he's blind, okay, and he knows that there is some, he has left some money with a friend in another city, but he has no way of getting there. So he, his son says he could go after the money, but his son is too young to go out on the road by himself. This is back, you know, right, right. Yes. hundreds of years before Jesus. So they find this guy looks like he can take care of himself, and they get him to go with the son to find to get the money. And it turns out that this is an angel in decide. In, in disguise, St. Raphael. Yeah. So uh, my sculpture I, uh, is of St. Raphael, and because he's in disguise, um, well, we all know that angels in the Bible don't have wings, but that's beside the point. Yeah. The pastor said, if you don't put wings on him, everyone will think he's Jesus. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so we had to include, uh, had to include wings, and uh, so I thought of the idea of transparent wings. They're invisible. And um, so only we, the audience, can see them, but it implies invisi invisibility, and that's why the wings are transparent. I see. Well, this has been great, John. Thank you very much for joining us today on Sounds and Words, and very we look well. forward to next time. Oh, sure. Anytime. Thank you. For more information on John Collier's work, please visit his agent's website, at hillstream.com.